Persuasion in the Public Mind. I'm Mark Bourdine. In the media age, our culture has been inundated with visual imagery like never before. Generally speaking, images move us out of the realm of logic and reasoning and into the realm of aesthetics and emotion. For better or worse, images can shape our thoughts, affect our daily decisions, and influence the way we view and interact with the world. From news to advertising to entertainment, images intended for commerce have a built-in strategy of persuasion. They are arranged in ways that will promote a certain type of behavior on the part of the viewer. Today, with the help of Michael Martinez, assistant professor in the School of Journalism and Electronic Media at the University of Tennessee, we're going to explore some strategies of visual persuasion. Michael, let's start out at the fundamental level with the basic elements of image composition, color, form, depth, and movement. Why are we attracted to these elements? We live in a visual world. Uh, visual stimulus uh, piques our interest many times, um, and it's not just photography. If you look at you know, artwork or sculpture or nature, for that matter, we're drawn to patterns and designs and and uh, you describe depth and I could apply that to photography as well is that there may be many layers in a photograph that would intrigue us uh, to explore the photograph in in, in in a greater depth or in a greater sense um, there are eye tracking studies that will uh, you know track somebody's how somebody looks at something move from point to point to point to point, uh, trying to take in this information and, and analyze it and, and, and make sense of it. Um, and <clears throat> many times, uh, depending on the photograph, uh, uh, you know, can, can cause or to stimulate an emotional response, good, bad, indifferent. Um, but the greater the, the emotional response, the more, um, I was going to say pleasing, but it's not necessarily pleasing. It can, it can be another, it can go the other direction as well too. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but the more the more visceral response one will have to a photograph, um, it it can be pleasing. It can be repulsive. It can be um, heart wrenching. It can be joyous. Uh, and once you tap into those emotions, then that kind of gets our um, thoughts, our our uh, reasoning, our um, likes or dislikes, uh, kind of tied into that. Uh, to to and th this is where the influence would come in. Um, you know, if 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 there's a photograph that is visually pleasing and stimulates an emotional response, it will also often trigger in the viewer uh, some sort of you know, yes, I like that, or I, I agree with that, or no, I don't like that, or I don't agree with that, or I have a different you know, a different perception of, of whatever the communication that image is, is bringing means. Yeah, and um, I, would, I would guess that color especially uh, is associated with uh, emotional response. Uh, um, historically, uh, we've kind of associated certain colors with uh, certain moods or frames of mind. Sure. Uh, lighter colors indicate, uh, you know, softness or cheerfulness, and darker colors might indicate uh, harshness or moodiness, right? 
Right, exactly, and and warm colors and cool colors, and and um, you know, if you there have been studies about, you know, in, in hospital rooms, for example, uh, they you know they they determined that green is makes you uneasy, um, for example, or uh, you know, yellow is a warm color that makes you feel comfortable. Um, you know, red or or a very bright color in a room can be jarring if it's if you're there, you know, you know if you live in it, um, it, it can be agitating. So yes, color has a has a very direct response on uh, both positive, negative, um, you know, calming, excitable, uh, bright. Um, gloomy, you know, it, it can it can have many different different effects. And uh, as far as movement is concerned, uh, it seems to me that uh, we have um, movement kind of hardwired uh, into us uh, as a survival skill. You might say uh, mm -hmm. it. Uh, I mean, if you want to get physiological about it, it uh, kind of. Uh, makes the cells in our visual cortex respond quickly. Uh, so that probably has uh, something to do with this as well. Sure, sure. You can look at photographs and, and if, if, for example, if somebody's, and I'm getting technical here, but if somebody, uh, you know, it has panned in a photograph, that's a sense of movement. Um, it, it will give the viewer a sense of movement as well. Uh, feel like you know that that person is part of that movement, whereas you can also have kind of quiet stillness um, in a photograph that will is a calming effect on mm. on the viewer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, some of the techniques uh, media producers use to create meaning or attract attention are uh, lighting, camera angle, uh, framing, pose, graphic mm -hmm. design, computer generated images. Um, let's let's talk for a minute about how meaning is communicated through these techniques. Uh, lighting, for example. Um, it's interesting because the when you learn photography, when you start developing that craft or that skill, you start looking for different ways of seeing things, and so um, from a, at least from a documentary standpoint or from a journalistic standpoint you don't ever manipulate the scene but you look for things that are naturally there you look for the lighting you know you look whether you select the time of day uh, called the golden hours you know either just before sunset or just at sunrise um, if you have the opportunity to photograph during those times light is more pleasing it's warmer and this gets back to color but it's warmer uh, and it's it's not high noon harshness. Um, you look for leading lines in nature, something that will guide the eye toward whatever subject you're working toward. And and this can be a roadway, this can be a a, a railing of a fence, um, it can be uh, a tree line. You know, I mean, you you look for these kinds of things that will help guide your eye to the the focus of the image. Um, um, you look for S-curves. Those are pleasing things in nature. Um, you look for lighting. You look. It, it, it's interesting because um, part of my experience has been working at several Olympics, and, and 
sports photography, while it's very dynamic, um, you know, action-wise, oftentimes it's at high noon or, you know, midday sun kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and photographers there would always look for um, either graphic design to put the player in, in a frame or maybe look for lighting where, you know, as it starts getting later in the day, look for uh, pleasing lighting that will set that photograph apart from everybody else's. Um, so all of those techniques uh, photographers uh, use or look for when whenever they're working a situation. Um, but, I mean, it's still back to the original central subject, and you just try to bring all of these other skills to the set uh, while you're still covering what you're trying to cover. Yeah, now, uh, you, you refer to, of course, uh, documentary work, uh, but in commercial uh uh, image making. Uh, sure. uh, sometimes this uh, lighting is uh, very much manipulated, um, you know, to to create moods or reveal shape or texture or color. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the same might be said for uh, other techniques that uh, we're referring to here. Um, graphic uh, graphic design, you, you had mentioned uh, just in general terms, um, it uh, kind of creates uh, contrast, uh, differences in color and type size and texture. We didn't actually talk about camera angle yet, but there's um, an, another uh, technique that uh, can show uh, differences in uh, dominance, uh, power, weakness. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, low angle, high angle. Um, um, different points of view. I mean, that's that's the other part of the technique that photographers, whether it's documentary or commercial or, you know, any kind of, always the 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 goal oftentimes is to show something that everybody else would not normally see. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to take it from a high angle looking down or a low angle looking up, or or I mean, even even. Um, for example, if you're photographing children, um, you know, we as adults often look down at the children because they're small people. Um, but if you get down on your knees to their height and get to their level, it creates a, a whole different dynamic that many of us would never even, you know, think of, think twice about, because rarely do we get down to that level. Many times we may pick them up to our level, you know, pick them up in our arms or whatever, uh, but but rarely do we get down on our knees. I mean, sometimes we get down and play with them, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, just that different perspective or at least getting on their level will make a whole lot of difference. It also, and this is another part of it, it also makes them them as the subject more at ease because you're not towering over them. Um, you know, interacting with your subject or at least making them comfortable is another key part of good photography. Um, if you, if the subject is uncomfortable, oftentimes that will come through in the photograph. So right. p- part, part of making good photography is making sure that they feel comfortable as well. So based on what we've talked about so far, I think it's fair to say that images function to attract our attention and make emotional appeals. 
Image producers also want their images to have meaning for us and have us identify with their product, service, or idea. Continuing on with this topic about how images persuade, Paul Maceras, in his book Visual Persuasion, identifies three functions served by visual signs. He says, images represent reality. Images serve as proof for a persuader's message. And images suggest arguments to audiences. Here to explain those points a little more is Tim Borchers, a regular contributor to this program and author of Persuasion in the Media Age. So Paul Maceres says that images uh, do these things because images are able to reach us both emotionally and cognitively. That is, uh, images can pull on our heartstrings, they can create an emotional connection, they can be funny, or they can actually serve as proof for what a persuader is trying to say. Mm -hmm. So a couple examples of these different ways that images affect us in terms of representing reality, uh, images that might affect us emotionally, think of a Super Bowl ad that you've seen. Uh, maybe it's funny, uh, maybe it's a metaphor for something, uh, maybe it doesn't make much sense at all, but somehow it gets your attention, it focuses your attention on the advertising uh, agency or on the brand that's being advertised, and, and you might think twice about it. You might not run out and buy it right away, uh, but the ad probably reaches you on some kind of an emotional level, even if it's just something to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. So that would be an example of what he talks about for images representing reality. Uh, they reach us on an emotional level. You might also think about some images that serve as proof for what the persuader is trying to say. So these really do reach us on a cognitive level. Uh, a crime scene photograph, for instance, that might be shown to a jury is, is a good example of this because it proves what happened in that situation that if, it's, if it's done effectively. Uh, you might think of photos that, that show migrant detention centers. Those photos would prove what kind of conditions are taking place at those detention centers. And so that would be an example of how images prove a persuader's message. Okay. And then finally, images also work cognitively, but also symbolically in that they represent or they stand for words. So images can um, suggest things uh, that, that people probably wouldn't say out loud. Uh, for instance, we often see pictures of politicians holding babies, and really what they're trying to communicate is that I'm a nice, normal, everyday person. I like to hold babies. So they, if they came out and said, I'm a nice, normal, everyday person who likes to hold babies, we probably wouldn't believe them or we'd question them. But when we see them doing it, uh, then, we're, then we're able to be persuaded by them. So in that case, then the image that we see really stands for different words. Uh, political cartoons are another good example of this. If you look at a political cartoon, there's often something that's not stated in that cartoon that really is the point of the cartoon and what helps that cartoon be persuasive. So those, I think, are some examples of, of how Maceris talks about the different functions that visual images can provide. Okay, this brings us to the business of evaluating images. By and large, visuals used in commerce and sometimes in news programming tend to discourage thought or critical reasoning by placing emphasis on emotion and aesthetics. Sometimes this is not bad because it encourages us to act, but then the question becomes, act for what reason? Oftentimes, there isn't a good way to measure the truth or falsity of images we see on the page or on our screens. Images can be altered or void of context. Information can be left out. 
Professor Kathleen Hall Jameson contends that visual images are not testable as arguments, so we are vulnerable to their use by persuaders. This situation suggests the need for a more critical reading of images to reposition them within the framework of reason and thought. In his book, Visual Communication, Images with Messages, Paul Martin Lester offers a good introduction to image evaluation by suggesting six perspectives for image analysis. His first is the personal perspective. This is your superficial gut-level reaction to an image. The historical perspective asks, when do you think the image was made and what were the historical circumstances that brought the image about? The technical perspective deals with the medium used to produce and present the image. Is it a photograph, a motion picture, a computer-generated image? Knowing how an image is produced gives you a better understanding of the meaning or purpose of the work. The ethical perspective considers the ethical responsibilities involved in producing and publishing images that do not cause unjust harm. A cultural perspective tries to identify the symbolism and metaphors used in images to determine their meaning for society as a whole. And finally, the critical perspective allows you to use information you learned about the image, the producer of that image, and the audience it was produced for to refine your personal perspective. Here again is Michael Martinez. We all bring a uh, uh, our personal history um, to a photograph, uh, and and so our our experiences will be reflected in how we react to a photograph or or evaluate a photograph. So that's that's important to first of all recognize, you know, that mm -hmm. we've got we've got our own biases that we bring to the to the table, if you will. Um, the the um, historical perspective, I think it's critical in, in the sense that um, we need to know in context what's going on at the time, what's, what's, what else is, is involved in this um, in order to put these photographs into, into perspective. In other words, um, uh, what events were happening at the time? Um, what, it, you know, when or, or where was the image made? That kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. 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 Um, um, you know, it, uh, a photograph of a protest during the Vietnam War is a whole lot different than a protest during Black Lives Matter. Uh, and while they may look visually similar, the social context or the historical context um, makes a big difference. Um, from an ethical standpoint, um, I think, and it's not just photographs, I think our decision, and this gets into... Um, everything from making the photograph in the first place to publishing it to which you, where you publish it, how you publish it. Um, I, I also teach ethics, so trying to combine the ethics versus the journalism. Just because you've got something doesn't necessarily mean you publish something. Right. Um, and and uh, you know it's interesting because one of the and and I've heard arguments both directions, but and coming from a photography background myself, my argument is always shoot first and then decide later. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't shoot, you don't have it to make a decision. Um, but, but given that, you know, that then the challenge is, you know, do you publish the photograph? 
Um, do you invade somebody's privacy? And this, this is where I start getting into do you shoot or do you not shoot? But in general, the concept, at least my, my argument, is shoot first. Um, and, 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 you know, do you invade somebody's privacy? Do you, do you, um, you know, follow utilitarianism, greater good for the greatest amount of people versus an individual harm, mm -hmm. for example? Um, or do you have the duty, like, you know, Kant's categorical imperative, is, is your duty to the truth regardless of, of the harm it may cause? Mm -hmm. um, right. That type of thing. Right. So all of those things kind of come into play. Um, you know, the cultural part of it, yes. Is it offensive? Is it, does it make a point and will it change? Could it change or foster change, um, you know, in, in the culture? Um, and then certainly a critical perspective, do, you know, is, is this worth well, I was going to say worth the fight. Is this worth the argument? Is this the one, that, the battle that you want to pick, for example? So, you know, all of those come into play, uh, and, and they come into play in varying degrees at, you know, varying times. So um, uh, Lester talks about, in terms of critical perspective, um, using the information that you've learned about the medium, uh, the producer of the image, uh, the audience that it's produced for, uh, et cetera, uh -huh. to kind of refine your personal perspective. Um, does that uh, make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And there's, there, I can, there's two things that come to mind. One, one is Kevin Carter's uh, Vulture and Little Baby, and I think it was the Sudan um, Kevin Carter photographed a vulture waiting for a starving child. Looked like he was going to die. Mm -hmm. I don't remember mm -hmm. if it was a boy or girl. Um, and and he was criticized highly for not stepping in and helping the child. You know, and ultimately mm -hmm. it, that contributing to other things ate at him and he committed suicide. So, you know, at what point do we set down our cameras and be human? Mm -hmm. to help somebody. You know, that's that's one part of it. And, and I can give you a, a kind of another, this is a personal perspective. When I was working at the AP in New York, um, it was during the, the raid in Somalia where the Somalis drug an American soldier through the streets. Mm -hmm. And we were faced with, I mean, the photographs, we, we were able to get the photographs, but we were faced with, do we distribute them over the AP network? In America, mm -hmm. um, and there was a heavy debate among the editors in New York whether or not to do this because it's uh, highly inflammatory. It's certainly troubling. You know, the photograph itself was very troubling. Um, and ultimately, we decided to go ahead and distribute it to the papers uh, because we were an intermediary, um, and and we warned everybody. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very graphic image, very graphic images that we're transmitting, but we want you to be able to decide whether you want to publish them and not us be the gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's a tough thing to do. You know, and if you stop and think at many of the, for example, in general, you know, traditionally we don't photograph dead bodies and put them in newspapers. Until it's Bobby Kennedy laying, you know, in a hotel in a, a hotel kitchen, 
um, or the little baby being held by the firefighter in the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, there's at some point the value of the event overshadows what typically we do not do. We yeah. as a society. As a, a general rule, uh, I, I know uh, <clears throat> Paul Martin Lester says this. I, I tend tend to agree. Um, uh, kind of do no harm unless uh, you can really justify it. Absolutely. We've got some great resources on this topic listed under the episode description, so please check it out. Thanks to Michael Martinez and Tim Borchers for their perspectives. The podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, and many other platforms. You can see a complete list at anchor.fm forward slash persuasion. Thanks for listening. See you soon.